Well, thank you, worship team. Good morning again, everyone. And we're going to go ahead and, uh, if you guys have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, let's go ahead and take them out and uh, turn to Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to get started. So, um, starting a new sermon series this week, and uh, we're kind of excited about that, and it's uh, is so good to see all of you this morning. So, uh, thank you again. And uh, for the back group, if you guys can go to that first slide, if it's available. It's not good? All right, perfect. That's Okay. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, we should have it up on the screen here in a few moments. Um, we've also, if anyone ever needs a Bible, we've got lots of Bibles in the back for you to take. Uh, feel free to take that. We've also, our search, Source Church app uh, has scripture available in that as well. It also has the sermon notes too that you can take right in the app uh, while we're going through everything. So, but anyways, like I said, we're starting a brand new series this morning. And, um, you know, one of the questions that I've been asked a lot over the many years that I've been doing ministry either here at the church or even in youth ministry and and so on, is this question, and that is this, does God care about my personal happiness, right? I mean, I've been asked that question many times, does God care about my personal happiness? Now, uh, happiness, I would say, I think is something that is um, very important to all of us in this room. I mean, it's something that, that we strive for. Right, happiness is something that, that we go to great lengths for. I would even go as far as to say that it is something that we feel is a personal right of ours. I mean, if you look at our Declaration of Independence, I mean, there's a line in there that says we hold these truths to be self-evident, uh, that we are created equal, that we are endowed by our Creator with certain una- uh, unalienable rights, and that being uh, among those life, liberty, and what the pursuit of happiness I mean, our founding fathers wrote those words in our founding documents, right, that we are endowed by God, that we are endowed by our creator with unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so happiness is something that is very important to us. I mean, we feel uh, as people that we have the right to be happy. Now, as I was uh, preparing for this message, I thought it'd be fun to go into Amazon, and so I just typed in the word happiness, right? I just want to see how many different books or resources were out there that dealt with the topic of happiness, and as I did that, uh, there are over 100,000 resources on Amazon.com that deal with the issue of happiness. Uh, Harvard University, I don't know if you know this, but the most popular class that they offered is called Positive Psychology, the Pursuit of Personal Happiness. As a matter of fact, there are over 100 other colleges and universities that offer the very same course. Now, some of the most popular Christian books, some of you guys may have heard of some of these titles. They've been on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, You know, titles like, you know, Your Best Life Now or The Secret to Happiness, Uh, Every Day of Friday, How to Be Happy Seven Days a Week, 21 Ways to Find Peace and Happiness. I mean, so much of our life is spent pursuing happiness. I mean, many people are consumed by the idea of, you know, I I need to be happy, right? Or or happiness is, is my right. Some of you, maybe this morning, you're at a place right now where you're looking at your life and you're saying, you know what, I'm here and I'm not very happy. And so though I'm here and I'm not very happy, my goal is to get over there, right? Because if I can get from over here to over there, then I'll be really happy. You know, maybe you're saying, you know, I'm currently single. I'm over here. But if I can get over there to the marital status, then you know what? I think I'd be really happy. Or, or I'm over here and you know, I'm feeling kind of overweight. I mean, if I could just get, get over there where my scale looks different, then I would truly be happy. Or if I could make just a, you know, just make a six-figure salary, I mean, that would take care of all of my problems. I think that would really make me happy. Or if I could just get a promotion or if I could just change my circumstances or if I could just get out of this relationship, then I would truly be happy. 
Well, let me say this this morning. I know a lot of married, skinny, wealthy, successful people who are very miserable, okay? Who have gone through that whole if, right? From here to there. And they found out that it just, it wasn't what they thought. I mean, they worked hard, right? They poured their lives to get from here to there, but the there that they arrived at didn't bring them the happiness that they were looking for. Why? Because they're there The destination that they were working for was the wrong target. You see, if your target, right, the target that you're aiming for is about being self-centered, right, and the consuming question of your life is what can I do to ultimately make me happy, then your happiness, listen, is going to be temporary and your joy is going to be static. As a matter of fact, there's a book in the Old Testament, uh, you know, called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon, and the, the book is all about the pursuit of happiness. And listen to what Solomon said about pursuing the wrong things to find happiness. He says this in chapter two, verse one of Ecclesiastes. Solomon writes, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. Now before we jump into our text this morning, I wanna answer the question that I asked a moment ago and kind of presented to you guys a moment ago. Does God care about my personal happiness. Now, honestly, I think that's an important question. And I think every one of us in this room, we'd like to know the answer to that question, wouldn't we? Well, here's my answer, okay? I think, as a matter of fact, I know that God cares intimately about everything that you are going through. I know that God cares, you know, intimately about everything you're going through. He feels very deeply about the things that you're feeling, He weeps when you are weeping. He hurts with you when you are hurting. And so I believe that God is concerned about our happiness. I believe that God wants you to be content. I believe that God wants you to to have peace in your life, that he wants you to, to feel free from the cares and the worries of the world, which is what I think we all really want, right? We want to be content. We want to have peace. We want to feel free from worry and the the cares that, that plague us. However, here's what else I also know is that God's path to happiness is very different than the path that we oftentimes choose to find happiness. Right, like I said a moment ago, our path to happiness usually involves the word if, right? If I had this, if I had that person, or if I could achieve this, or if I could buy this, then man, if if all of that happened, then I would truly be happy. However, as we're gonna see from our text this morning, if the target that you are aiming for is holiness and righteousness, then you're going to find true happiness, the happiness that God really longs for you to have. Now, this series, as you've already heard, is called From Here to There, right? And so if the there in your life is to be set apart from the world for God's purposes and his plans, which is what biblical holiness is, is all about, which is what righteousness is all about, then your happiness is not going to be fleeting. It's not going to be temporary. It's not going to be rooted in the things that are here today and gone tomorrow, Instead, it's going to be, 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 you know, the happiness is going to bring you true joy. Happiness is going to bring you true contentment, the, the satisfaction that you really desire and the true happiness that God wants for our lives. Now, you've heard me say this before. Maybe I, I think it was actually even last week I've said this, that God is more interested in your holiness than he is in your happiness. And so oftentimes he will allow us to be unhappy so that we will reach out to him, so that we will strive for holiness that will strive for righteousness. He'll allow us to get into situations, to fall into moments of unhappiness to where we're desperate for him, we're reaching out for him. Why? Because our willingness to choose holiness and our willingness to choose obedience is the only thing that will ultimately make us happy. 
And so does God want us to be happy? I believe he does. But the road to happiness is oftentimes, uh, you know, different than the way we are trying to pursue it. Luke chapter 19, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Uh, this is called Palm Sunday. Now, it's not today, but that's what's happening here. This Sunday that we're talking about in the passage. And so thousands of people here on this Sunday are, are coming into Jerusalem. And they're coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover because it's Passover week. And so Jesus is coming into the town for the very last time. And he creates a very interesting scenario here that we're going to read about in verse 29 of Luke chapter 19. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them there. And it says this. When he drew near to Bethpage at Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And They said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, this event here that we just read about is actually recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew chapter 21, Matthew tells us that the people were not only spreading their cloaks on the ground, but they were also cutting off branches from trees, and they were, they were laying these branches down on the ground on the path in front of Jesus as he was riding down from the Mount of Olives. John chapter 12 tells us that the people were actually waving the palm branches, that they were screaming, they were, they were shouting words of celebration. So, I mean, this scene, if you could just picture it, was quite a celebration. I mean, this was like a celebration that was fit for a king or for a great military leader. And you look at this story and you go, I mean, what is going on here? Well, there's a lot of things going on here. And so one of the things is this. I mean, this is, this is the only time that Jesus allowed a public demonstration on his behalf, as a matter of fact, he actually created it, and he did it for two reasons. And first of all, he did it because uh, we need to understand that Jesus was fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy, which we're going to talk about in a, in a few moments. But the second reason that he talks, or the, the second reason he did it is because Jesus actually wanted to force the religious leaders to take action. Right? The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus after the Passover. But see, God had ordained that Jesus would be crucified on the Passover as a sacrificial lamb who would be slain for the sins of the world. And so by coming into Jerusalem with all of the the fanfare, what Jesus was doing is he was actually challenging the religious leaders. He was kind of creating a scene. He was creating a celebration. He was challenging them. He was saying, listen, do something about this. See, he knew that his time had come. He knew that his time had come to lay down his life. And what Jesus is doing is he's literally forcing the hands of the religious leaders and the government officials of Rome to deal with him. Let's pick it up here in verse 39. It says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Now why in the world is Jesus weeping here? Because Jesus is looking at the spiritual state of the people of Jerusalem 
He knew that the religious leaders were oppressing the people. They were putting a very heavy burden of religious rituals and religious laws on the people. I mean, Jesus came to free people from the oppression of law and religion, and yet the Pharisees fought him at every turn. He also wept because as he looked over Jerusalem, Jesus knew that in about 70 years from that moment, the Romans were going to kill over 600,000 Jewish people in a period of about 143 days. He knew the rest of them would be taken into captivity and that the temple that he was staring at as he was coming down from the Mount of Olives was going to be completely destroyed. But I believe the biggest reason why Jesus was weeping was because as he looked down over the city, as he looked down over the city of Jerusalem, he saw all of the people that had not only come you know, from outside to celebrate the Passover, but the actual citizens of Jerusalem. He looked down at these people and he saw them as a group of people who were spiritually blind. See, he saw them in the very same way that he sees our cities. He saw them in the very same way that he sees our nations, people who are desperately trying to be happy, trying to be everything they can, but going down the wrong path to find it. And yet Jesus gave the Jewish people every opportunity to accept him as the true Messiah. And what happened? Well, at the end of the day, they reject him. Right? He knew that so many of these people that he was witnessing as he was coming down the Mount of Olives, he knew that many of these people were going to slip off into, into an eternity called hell, never receiving God's grace, never receiving God's forgiveness and reconciliation. And so because of that, Jesus wept over them. Now, I want you to listen to what he says about them here in verse 42. He said this, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And so in other words, Jesus is saying that, you know, Jerusalem is going to be torn to the ground by its enemies. He's saying that people are going to die, but more than anything, the long-awaited Messiah that these people have been waiting for for centuries to visit, the long-awaited Messiah had come to earth, and the people did not realize that he had visited them. I mean, they just totally missed it. Well, if they missed it, then what's going on with the celebration that we just read about, right? I mean, you've got palm branches being waved, right? You've got shouts of Hosanna, blessed is the the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, it certainly seems like the people got it, right? I mean, they are cheering and they're celebrating their new king. I mean, the people were, were celebrating the idea that their new king was coming to Jerusalem, but you need to understand they were not welcoming him as a Messiah, but more as a political savior. See, these were folks that had been oppressed, Right, the Jews desperately wanted to be freed up from this political and religious oppression. I mean, the city of Jerusalem had been under Roman rule for, for quite some time, and so the Jews were being oppressed religiously, but the Romans were oppressing them you know, economically during this time. About 90% of Jerusalem, they were basically farmers, and so the Romans came in and they taxed these people heavily. They confiscated their land so that they could, you know, support their empire, send the money back to Rome to basically allow those who, you know, were already living high on the hog to, to live even more lavishly. And so you can imagine that during this time, I mean, you can just imagine that there's tension here, that the tension existed between the, the people of Rome, I mean, not only with the Pharisees, but also with the, the political leaders at the time. And so when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, I mean, the people, they're desperate, right? They're desperate for happiness. They want a mighty warrior like King David who would come in and deliver them from the hands of their enemies. 
The Jews desperately wanted that, that Prince of Peace that Isaiah wrote about years and years before, but the Prince of Peace that they wanted was one that would bring them peace from political and religious oppression. They weren't concerned about being delivered from their sins. They were concerned about being delivered from the Romans. But again, Jesus' whole goal in going to Jerusalem was to to finally present himself to the people as not just a a great prophet or not just a a great teacher or even a mighty warrior, but as the long-awaited Messiah, as the Son of God, the true Savior of the world. I mean, that's why Jesus chose to ride into town on a donkey. I mean, the whole idea of you know, getting this young donkey was to fulfill the prophecy that Zechariah had written over 500 years before this event. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, Zechariah 9 tells us that the Messiah I mean, endowed with great salvation, would come into Jerusalem riding on top of a young donkey. And so Jesus sets up this whole scenario. He creates the scene, right? He makes a very blatant statement to the people and to the the religious leaders of that day that I am the Messiah that Zechariah wrote about. So imagine for just a moment, right, as Jesus is riding into town on a donkey, imagine just the, the light bulbs going off, right, in people's heads, These people, they went to school. They knew Jewish history. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They would have known about this prophecy of Zechariah. They would have known that the Messiah would come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to free them and to offer them salvation. And so how did they respond? Well, first they they started throwing down their cloaks on the road as a a sign of submission. They start waving those palm branches as a, a sign of Jewish nationalism and victory. They start yelling, Hosanna, which means save us. And so you look at all of that and you go, well, I mean, man, that sounds right, right? I mean, sounds like they got it. Sounds like they understood it, but they didn't. See, the crowds on Palm Sunday who were welcoming Jesus triumphantly into Jerusalem had no idea who he really was or what he came to do. I mean, they had heard about his miracles. They had heard about his healings. They saw many of them, the wondrous things that he could do, but they attached all of that to Jesus being a military hero, being a a political leader, Right, someone that would, would set them free from the hated Romans who were occupying their land. But as we know, Jesus had a whole different agenda. Jesus didn't come riding into Jerusalem on top of some you know, white stallion, waving a, and swinging a sword to kill all the military leaders. Jesus to- chose to ride into Jerusalem very humbly on a donkey, a common man's animal. I mean, a donkey is not your typical military mount, is it? I mean, how many of you guys have ever seen a, you know, a great, you know, a movie with just this great battle scene, right? Just imagine for a moment like Braveheart, okay? And you've got Mel Gibson and he's riding in to fight the English on a donkey, right? You don't see that happening, right? You don't see that kind of scene in a military battle. I mean, a donkey is, is universally known as a symbol of humility. It's a symbol of peace and servanthood and gentleness, See, the crowds, what they wanted was a conquering king that they could put on the throne. But what Jesus wanted was to be on the throne of their hearts. That's a whole different thing, isn't it? See, Jesus wasn't coming to bring some kind of short-term political solution to the Roman problem of the first century. He was coming to bring a long-term spiritual solution that, that plagued mankind from the beginning of history. See, Jesus brought a solution to the sin issue that separated us from God from the very beginning of time. Now, shortly... Before Jesus got on the donkey to ride into Jerusalem, he said something. He said this. He said, I'm coming as a servant to give my life as a payment for other people 
as a ransom for many. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, right? I mean, think about the idea of a servant king. Think about the idea of a humble God. Now, you know, in the English language, we call that an oxymoron. You say, well, what's an oxymoron? It's when you take two words and you put them together, but they typically contradict each other. Got a lot of classical oxymorons out there in our language. I mean, think about the words for a second, jumbo shrimp, right? It's an oxymoron. Okay, got nonstop flight. Again, oxymoron. That flight has got to stop somewhere. How many of you ever heard uh, a girl, you know, guys, a lot of times will say, man, that girl is awfully pretty, right? Oxymoron. So you got the idea of a humble God, the idea of a servant king. It's an oxymoron, isn't it? I mean, here you have Jesus, who has every right to come riding into Jerusalem on a stallion, swinging a sword, destroying anyone who will not bow down to him. I mean, he's a king, he's God, he's, he's creator of the universe. And yet instead, he chooses to be the God of peace. He chooses to be the God of reconciliation, to be the, the God of redemption, to be the God of second chances. See, Jesus decided that he was going to humbly offer himself as the payment for, for all the wrongdoing and all of the sin that separates us from God. He was willing to pave the way himself with his life so that people could have a new beginning, a beginning and a start that none of us in this room or even the people of that day ever deserved. But these people, they're celebrating Jesus because of what they wanted him to do for them, not what he was actually going to do for them. See, Jesus wanted to take them from here to there. He wanted to take them from happiness to holiness, but they weren't interested in forgiveness, right? They weren't interested in redemption. They weren't interested in reconciliation. They were not interested in the things that would truly bring them and truly, you know, bring them true lasting satisfaction and contentment. What they wanted was they wanted instant happiness, which meant deliverance from the Romans right now. Give it to us. This is, you say, well, how do you know that? Well, because the very same people that were celebrating and cheering for Jesus on Sunday were the same people calling for his death on Friday morning. See, when the people realized that Jesus wasn't there to bring them the kind of happiness that they were expecting, which meant freedom from the Roman oppression, freedom from the the Pharisees and the religious oppression, they wanted nothing to do with him. As a matter of fact, they wanted him dead. Now, I think it's very easy for all of us in this room to look at a story like that, right, with pride and maybe even a, a spirit of arrogance, or to look at, look at those people and go, man, I mean, what ungrateful people. I mean, here you have, look, I mean, Jesus, they get to see him, right? We've never even had a chance to physically see him, and they see him. I mean, what arrogant, prideful, ungrateful Jewish people. The Messiah is right in their midst, and yet they reject him because he didn't give them what they wanted, which was happiness. And I would argue this morning to you that not much has changed. I mean, we live in a world, we live in a country where people are just desperate for happiness. But again, they're focused on the if, right? If I achieve this, if, if I can buy this, if I could just have this, if, I, if my kids could just accomplish this, or if I could just get into the, the right relationship, or if I could earn this kind of money, that if, 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 if this happens, then I will be happy. But remember, God is much more concerned about our holiness than he is about our happiness because he knows that our holiness, he knows that our willingness to be set apart for him from the world for his purposes and for his plans is the only thing that is truly going to bring us happiness that we really, really want in our lives. Think back for a moment to the children of Israel. If you know your Bible, right? The children of Israel are getting ready to cross the Jordan River. It's the book of Joshua. 
And Joshua is going to lead them, and they're standing at the edge of this river. And these guys, I mean, they need a miracle. And God says to them, he tells Joshua, he said, Joshua, here's what I want you to tell the people. Joshua 3, 5, he says, consecrate yourselves, which is a word for holiness, which, which means, you know, set yourselves apart. Set yourselves apart from the, the rest of the world for my purposes and my plans. He says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. He says, make yourself holy here. Because when you get there, right, make yourself holy here on this side of the river. Because when you get to the other side of the river, from here to there, the Lord will do wonders among you. I want you to think for a moment about Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It's a verse from the Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus says this. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. I mean, how often do we do this? And look at me now, right? How often do we get this verse backwards? Where we get the whole idea of this verse backwards. We see we want God to be a, a piece of our lives. Where we want to compartmentalize everything and make him a, a piece of our lives and all the rest of the things you know, that we have going on in our lives are separate from God over here. And so when something in our lives isn't going right, we go, okay, God, you know what? I, I need you to come into this area. Now, God, I know you haven't really been in this area, but, but I need you to come and I need you to pull you into this area. Almost like a like a, a good luck charm or a, a genie in a bottle. Or even sometimes maybe when it's convenient for us. Say, hey God, I want you to come on in. Or God, Sundays, I mean, that's my, that's my God day, right? An hour and 10 minutes. That's my, that's my God time. But God, don't mess, with, don't mess with everything else because that's my time. And I've got this little compartment over here and it's, it's God. And everything else is separate from that. But see, Jesus says that's never going to bring you happiness. He says that's never going to bring you contentment or the real joy that you're searching for. Instead, he says this. He says, make my kingdom the focus of your life. Make holiness the pursuit of your life. He says, and I will make all the other pieces of your life. You do that, all the other pieces of your life will begin to fall into place. Let everything flow out of your pursuit of my kingdom. Let everything flow out of your pursuit of my righteousness. Let all the, the pieces flow out of your relationship with me. In other words, he's saying, listen, if you take care of my kingdom, I'll take care of yours. You focus on my kingdom, you won't have to worry about yours. Now think of how Jesus chose to start off the, the Sermon of the Mount, which is his first recorded sermon that we have. What did he talk about? Right, we call it the Beatitudes. What's that all about? It's about happiness. Right? We've got blessed, blessed, blessed. And then he says it's long-lasting happiness. Blessed are those who, who choose humility. Right? Long-lasting happiness is found in pursuing purity in your life. Long-lasting happiness is found on relying on God's strength. Those who are seeking peace, those who mourn with others. And he says this verse in, in verse 6 of the blesseds. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, it's the same idea as holiness, being set apart for God's purposes, for his plan, set apart from the rest of the world for his plan and his purposes. And he goes on to say, for they shall be what? He says, they shall be satisfied. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for holiness. They hunger and they thirst to be set apart from the world. They long to please God with their lifestyle and their choices, even though they're not perfect. Even though they're, they're still going to sin at times, they're choosing righteousness. And God, Jesus says that they will be satisfied. See, those are the people that will be truly content, truly at peace with themselves, truly find inner joy, right? Victory over worry, victory over the cares of this world, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Some of you in this room this morning, 
You're kind of like Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones, right? Any of you guys ever heard of some, some of you guys might be too young for that. But you've tried, and you've tried, and you've tried, but you just can't get no satisfaction, right? Or maybe some of you are like Bono from U2, right? You, you, you've climbed the highest mountains, you've, you've run through the fields, you've broken down the bonds, you've loosed the chains, you've carried the cross of your shame. In other words, you've done pretty much everything you can do in this lifetime to find happiness, but you still haven't found what you're looking for. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Psalm chapter 84, verse 11 says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And I look at that verse and I just go, man, Lord, you are so faithful. Lord, you are so true to your word. Your, your promises are real that when we take our lives, right, and we feel like we're without direction and we just, you know, we're, we're just going, if, 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 Lord, if I could just get from here to there, then everything would be different. And yet God says, no, no, no. He says, listen, you want to get from here to there? You want to get from, you know, to, to happiness? He says, let me tell you the real true way to get to happiness is to choose holiness. Because when you choose holiness, God says, then I will allow you to be satisfied. I will allow all of these things to be added to you. I will do wondrous things in your life. You see, God wants to move you from here to there. God wants to move you from happiness to holiness, but he knows that, 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 that only holiness Right, Only holiness, are you with me now? Only holiness is going to bring you the true happiness that you're looking for. Some of you, you're in a relationship right now looking for happiness. And you are so outside the the bounds of holiness. You're not going to find the happiness that you're looking for. In your financial situation, for some of you right now, you are wanting happiness in your financial situations, but you've not brought holiness into your financial situation. You're not going to find the true contentment and true joy that you're looking for. Look, I don't care what your situation is, whether it's a relational issue, a financial issue, a job issue, whatever your issue is, whatever your, your if is, to get from here to there, the there that you really want, the, the contentment, the joy, the peace, the freedom from worries, the freedom from cares, we need to choose holiness. Set yourself apart from the, from the rest of the world for God's purposes and God's plans. Right? Make him the king of your heart. Let him sit on the throne of your heart. And when you do that, he says all of these things will be added to you. For you will truly be satisfied. He says no good thing will I withhold from you. See, that's what Jesus wanted for these people when he went into Jerusalem. That's what he wanted so desperately, but they rejected him. And my prayer this morning is that you will not do the same thing. See, the Messiah is in here this morning with the same offer for you, whether you're a believer or not. And for those of you who've trusted Christ, I mean, so many people that claim to be Christians, trying still so desperately to find happiness apart from Jesus. Listen, it's a perilous pursuit. It's just not going to happen. Not the happiness that you're really looking for. Some of your happiness you might find, it might be temporary, but it's just a dead end. It's not going to bring you what you really want. What you really, really want. The contentment, the joy, the satisfaction, the peace that passes all understanding. Listen, it's found in Jesus. 
when we allow him to be sitting on the throne of our hearts. When we say, Lord, I set myself apart for holiness and for righteousness. Bow your heads with me. Father, we just come before you. And Father, we just want to thank you for this word that you've given to us today. Father, I know that there are some in this room, God, that are pursuing happiness, but Father, doing it in all the wrong ways. They're trying to pursue happiness in their own means, chasing after the word if. If I could just do this or just do that, or if I could just be this or just be that, then I would find true happiness. And Father, our prayer today is that God, we would realize that true happiness is not found in the if, it's not found in the stuff, it's not found in this world but it's found in Jesus Christ. And we pray, God, that we would take us ourselves and we would set ourselves apart from the world for your plans and for your purposes. And God, if there's any in this room today that don't know you, our prayer, Father, is that they would come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're in here today and you say, you know what, I've come into this place I've been seeking after happiness. I've been longing for happiness, but I've just never found it. So I come in today and I want, the, I want that contentment. I want that joy, that peace that is found only in Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning, you want to make that decision. You just pray something like this in your heart. You say, God, I come before you. I repent of my sins. I want to turn away from my sins. I confess them before you, God. I believe that Jesus came to this earth to do for me what I could never do on my own that he lived a sinless life, but that he gave himself as a ransom for my sin that separates me from God. So this very moment, I place all of my faith and all of my trust in Jesus Christ alone to be my savior. And if you're here today and you've just made that decision with all eyes closed and all heads bowed, I ask that you take a connection card and check off today, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior. Take that back with you to the Connection Center because we want to connect with you. We want to help you on the next steps to becoming a fully devoted follower, fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. And God, again, for the rest of us, our prayer is that we would pursue Jesus and find in him true happiness and true contentment that only he can bring. Father, we love you. God, we praise you and we give you right now all the glory and all the honor. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.